Lucky Land slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. So we're in this series called Relational Vampires. Turn to your neighbor and say vampires. It is the season of vampires, ghouls and goblins and all that kind of stuff. And not trying to glorify them whatsoever, trying to take a twist or a spin on what vampires do. What, is, what do vampires do? They suck the life out of us. They, they take from us instead of giving. And so what we want to talk about is different individuals in our life. Uh, we'll call them vampires that we have to live with. Maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a coworker or a spouse. Um, but these are the people that, quite honestly, uh, they suck the life right out of you. They just seem to, no matter what they do, it's something either they're overly needy or they're too critical, or they're manipulative. Um, next week, we're going to learn about one that I think we all can struggle with, but it's just a very powerful lesson to learn. Uh, we're learning about these vampires. Our first week, we learned about critical people in our lives. How do we protect ourselves from critical people in our lives? And I learned, we learned, I, I tried to challenge you with three thoughts was this, listen to criticism when it comes your way, because there might be something good that you can get from it. And that's always a good thing to do. Second thing is though, sometimes you need to answer false criticism. You need to reply to it to get a better understanding that, hey, you don't have all the information. This is the full facts that you need to know about. And then the third thing is, some people are just critical. They just are, and you just have to dismiss it and be like, you know what? I'm not gonna get caught up into that. That's what they wanna believe. That's what they wanna think. I'm not gonna get caught up in it. So I, I talked to you the first week about criticism. And then I said, if you're a critical person, how do you handle it? And my challenge was, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you be more kind, more soft, and not as critical in life, because only he can change that, okay? Last week, we talked about, uh, if you guys remember, overly needy people. Not needy people, not people who are genuinely in need, but people who are habitually always in need for something. Um, they're always needing something. And I challenge you, I said, we give them what they need, not what they want. We set up healthy boundaries in our lives to try to isolate and insulate us from the neediness that comes forth. And then lastly is many times we just have to dismiss them for their own circumstances. Whatever the consequences are that they're going down, they have to figure that out. Um, and the challenge is how do we do that and be Christ-like is we pray about it, we ask God to direct us, and then he leads us where we're going to go. So that was last week. Today I want to talk about one that all of us have a, 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 will be touched by, I believe, because it'll speak to many of us. Uh, because I want to talk today about how do we deal with critical or, I'm sorry, that was first, controlling or manipulative people. Turn your neighbor and say controlling. Turn the other person and say manipulative. The story one day in heaven, Peter was taking roll call and uh, there were two lanes. 
One lane was, had a sign above it and said, for all the husbands that were controlled by their wives, make a line here. And the line went on for miles. <laughs> another line, another lane said, for those who were not controlled by their wives, the line begins here. And there was one man standing at that line. And Peter was just curious. He was saying, Peter was like, hey, what's, how, how are you here? And that line goes, how are you here? He said, I don't even know where I'm standing. My wife told me to shut up and stand over there. But <laughs> <laughs> bop. Controlling, manipulative people. Uh, we see this happen, this control take place throughout Scripture, okay? One of the very first instances, of course, in the garden with Adam and Eve. We saw something take place that was controlling or manipulative between Satan and Adam and Eve. He manipulated the words that, that were spoken by God, and he twisted them to get them to do what he wanted to do. So we see at the very beginning of time, the master of control, the master manipulator. In fact, the scripture says he is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. So therefore, we see at the very beginning of the Bible that there is this manipulative manipulation that's going on, this control that's taking place. Fast forward, we see many different stories too throughout scripture. We see, um, and I'm just pulling out a few of these. There's many more besides these. When Jacob manipulated Esau, if you remember the story, maybe you don't, but there were two brothers, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the younger one. And Esau was out working one day and he was toiling. He was working really hard. And Jacob was in making a, a soup. And as he was making the stew and he's making the soup, Esau comes in. He's tired. He's hungry. He's been working all day. And he wants some soup. And what does Jacob do? Jacob says, you want some soup, do you? I will give you some soup if you give me what's called your birthright. Now, we don't understand that here in America, but let me help you out. Here's how it goes. Uh, they would divide inheritance down by birthright. Their first child would get what they call a double portion of what the other children would get. For example, in this situation with two brothers, they had a, land, a, a plot of property. Instead of it being divided down 50-50, it would be divided down into threes. And the oldest son would get two-thirds, while the second son would get one-third. That's what's called a double portion. The oldest son received double portion what the second son received. Now, some of you oldest in the house are like, I like that idea. That's a, can we adopt that today? Let's just put that. How many of you firstborns want that, that done today? Well, that also means you get, uh, you get a double portion of their debt, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, hands go down. No, we don't want that. Um, and so story fast forwards. Jacob says, I'll give you some some of this wonderful, delicious soup if you just sell me your birthright. And what does he do? He does it. He does it for silly. But true story nonetheless, manipulation, controlling. Then we have the story in the New Testament uh, with the two, uh, the two girls who manipulated Herod. Uh, he fell in love with these girls. He was lured by these girls. And he, gave them, he said, I'll give you anything you want. And they said, okay, we want the head of John the Baptist. We want his head. And what happened? He had his head, he had John the Baptist beheaded and brought to them. Then one of the Mac Daddies of stories is a story by a man named Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Not Delilah, who plays your love songs late at night on the radio. You know that, Delilah? 
Yeah, not her. This, is, this was not a good Delilah. This was not a sweet Delilah. Delilah was a master manipulator. And here's in Judges 16, verse 15 and 8, uh, 15 and 16. Uh, first off, we know that Samson had this mighty strength. This strength we read, we knew back, we can read back and see it came from where? Where did it come from? His hair, right? His hair was a quote unquote, his power, his authority. Ultimately, it came from God, but ultimately, that was it. And so, he didn't, as long as he didn't cut his hair, he was able to have this strength. Well, she says to him, she says, How can you say, in verse 15, how can you say you love me or I love you when you won't even confide in me? You won't even share your secrets with me. Samson, how can you say it? With such nagging. Be quiet, gentlemen. Be quiet. With such nagging, she prodded him. What? Day after day until he was tired to Oh, another version says, says she vexed his soul to death. This was quite a controlling woman. This woman controlled. And finally she gave in. We read, we read the story where he is arrested and his eyes are plucked out and he went through lots of different things that went on in his life. Um, just being real with you today and just being honest just by a show of hands, no looking at people, nudging people. But has there ever been a time in your life that you were manipulated by somebody. Think about it. Don't, well, hands are going up really fast. Just, I didn't say raise your hands yet. Just calm down. A time whenever you uh, were taken advantage of, a time that maybe certain facts were left out and they kind of took you down a road and you found yourself at a worse place than what you should have been, a time that someone manipulated your kindness and your generosity in order to gain something from them. Anybody in the house ever been manipulated by somebody? Now you put your hands up. Let's see, hands up. Okay. So we all are struggling, and we all have been touched by the vampire of manipulation. We've all been vexed. Our soul has been vexed to be controlled by certain people. It could be a boss. It could be a coworker. It might be a, a family or a friend. It could be a spouse. All of us in this place has had someone to come into our lives and has manipulated or controlled us. Uh, just let's do an experiment real fast. Would you just, everybody raise your right hand. Right hand, everybody put your right hand up for me, please. Right hand, other hand. Okay, got it. Right hand. All right. Now, put your left foot up just a little bit off the floor. Left foot up a little. See, I just controlled all of you here in this place. You just did it. You just mindlessly went along with me. The fact is, when we are manipulated, and when we go on the other side of manipulation, many times we feel betrayed, we feel like we've been duped, and we can even feel at times like we have totally lost, even, even our soul has greed because someone has controlled us to that place. And sometimes when that happens, uh, we want to treat people like this people, these guys do in the office. Check it out. What's happening? Just making copies. That's great. That's great. Hey, I've got a question for you. I've got to be heading out of the office a little early this afternoon. Uh, i got a golf outing i got to head to. I was just wondering if you could maybe look over these reports, just go ahead and get them done for me so I could go ahead and maybe get out a little early. I'm kind of busy today. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I appreciate it. You know what, man? <laughs> 
I'd watch it around the office if I was you, because I hear, I hear the boss has it out for you. So I, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. And, and I just want to let you know, maybe you, should, maybe you should swing with me for a while, you know, so you can get the rub. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, all right. Great, great. Well, you know what, buddy? It's, uh, I, I love you. I love you, right? Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that way? Just want to jack them, just pop them, right? See, there are certain tools. You notice some of the tools that he used in that particular scenario. If you have your notes, write these down. Here's some, here's some tools that manipulators will often use to control us, and we have to recognize them. Um, they will use, number one, they'll use threats. They'll think, use things like, listen, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your job, uh, relationship. If you don't perform this way, if you don't, if you don't treat me this way, I'm going to break up with you. A uh, phone call. If you don't say certain things, they hang up on you. Um, if you don't show me certain attention, I'm going to walk. Marriages sometimes have this... Uh, uh, a, a, a give and take. It's not a give and take. It's a give and give. It's kind of a push and a push. And so we have to understand that there's threats that sometimes are used by manipulators. The second tool they use, or tactic, is guilt. Turn to your neighbor and say guilt. If you loved me, you would do this. You don't love me, though, because you don't do this. You don't love me anymore. Guilt. They use pouting. Silent treatments, pity parties, and they're the only one that shows up. You know who you are, and you know when you've been duped. Manipulators love to use threats. They love to use guilt. So first off, how do we, how do we handle controlling people, manipulating people in our lives? Because the fact is, we can't just get them out of our lives. We can't just punch them in the face or hit them in the stomach like on the video. We can't exclude them. We have to learn how to do life with them. We have to learn how to balance it out. We have to learn how to walk with that in the favor of God. So how do we do it? Well, here we go. Let's, if you have these notes, write these down with me. First thing that we're going to do, we have to recognize someone is trying to control you. You have to recognize that someone's working the puppet strings in your life. Because the fact is, it's very, very hard to see. In fact, many times, if you grew up in a controlling home with parents, you've just been acclimated to it, and you're just going to do the same thing to your kids that your parents did to you, and yet it's very manipulating and very controlling. Unless you recognize it, you're going to repeat the cycle. If, you, uh, if a manager or a coach is mean-spirited to you or controlling or manipulated to you, manip manipulative to you, you'll find yourself repeating that exact same cycle. Why? Because it's very hard to see this happen. We have to recognize it. Let me give you a, very, a story that in the Bible is one of the ones that I think gives the greatest insight to this, but yet we have, you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably read this many times, you never thought about it as manipulating or controlling. You just thought, this guy really loved Jesus and he was just concerned for him. So let's read it. If you have your Bibles, open up Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. We're gonna start right there. This is Jesus. He's, he's talking with his disciples. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
uh, what must go down in Jerusalem, what must happen, uh, he must be killed, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life. So Jesus is saying, hey, guys, this is going to happen to me. This is what's going to happen. So Peter, who I believe wholeheartedly loved Jesus very, very much, cared deeply for him. Peter, what did he do? What did he do? Peter what? Say it with me. Say it out loud. What did he do? Peter took him aside. And what did he begin to do? He began to rebuke him. Now, that rebuke in, in, in the translation is not necessarily what we think of rebuke today. That means he began to have a passionate discussion with Christ about what was going down. And this is, this is what Peter said. He said, never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. So, so here is Peter with a good heart, I believe, with a God heart, with a heart that loves Christ. And yet he says, wait a minute. No, Lord, this will not happen to you. And we begin to see a, a manipulative, controlling spirit come up in Peter right here. Peter believed that he had some kind of authority over the will of God. And right here in this scenario, we see him begin, what did he do? He does something that manipulators, controlling people often do. What did he do? He started by, he took him aside. He separated Jesus out. Controlling people, when they have something they want to control you about, they won't do it in front of the masses. They try to get you privately. They try to set you aside, take you alongside, and try to get you to work. They work their magic in the solitude of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Controlling manipulative people, they can't work inside of groups because their power is taken away. Their power has to be focused on one person and one individual takes them aside and says, this won't happen. See, manipulative people, they isolate a person in order to dominate a person, in order to control a person, they take them aside. In reality, a controlling person are much like predators. They're always preying on weaker individuals to dominate their will or their way. We see it all the time. Predators with kids, predators with, with women, even predators upon employees. These predators prey on the weaker ones to get their will in their way. Why do they do this? Because they're unhealthy. Because they believe that their opinion is better than anyone else's. They believe that they have a right to speak into your life even though they don't know much about your life. For example, in this scenario, Peter did not understand the full picture that needed to take place, but Jesus did. Jesus knew what had to take place in order for the salvation of the world. Peter knew, or Jesus knew, Peter did not. So how to know when someone's manipulating us. Here's a couple of points that you can write this down, think about it, sit on it, let it settle in your spirit, and maybe you have somebody like this in your life. First one is this. Uh, if you, you know you're being manipulated, you may be being manipulated if you can't say no to certain people. You have a hard time saying no to certain people. You might be manipulated by that particular person. Second thing, the second tidbit or a kind of a 
revelation or revealed to you, uh, you may be being manipulated if you always feel guilty when you're around somebody. You feel guilty about, about maybe something you did or didn't do and you don't really know. And, and so they kind of they let it happen. It happens in marriages, happens greatly in divorces, greatly in divorces. Um, kids are smart. And when kids go through, their parents go through divorce, they oftentimes will use that divorce as leverage to get things that they shouldn't get. Or if mom and dad are just having a struggle in life, they'll try to work the system to get what they want at the end of the day. So you can't say no. You feel guilty. Here's another third one. You feel, you feel ultimately responsible for where they're at. You have an employee that uh, maybe they're just always, they seem to always have a, a, a word to say, or they seem to always have something going on and life just fails them. And so you feel responsible to help them out. You might be being manipulated by them and not even recognize it. And the fourth one is this. Um, when you compromise your convictions for them, you might be being manipulated. The first thing is you have to recognize it. You have to recognize the power of the manipulator, the controlling person. It may be very subtle. Some of you, you grew up in it so much, you are home blind to it. Like it's happening, you can't even see it happening. It's, a, it's, it's like you just fall into line and in control because your parents made you do it that way. And so we have to understand these people suck the life out of us. It's not what God once, okay? So recognize it, step number one. Second thing is, here's the next step, write this down. You need to verbalize it. What does that mean? That means when you recognize that you're being controlled, you need to verbalize, this is not working for me. How you're treating me or how you're doing this is not working for me or working for my family or working for my future. So therefore, I'm not going to continue going down this same path. Repeat this with me. Say, that's not working for me. Say that with me. Here we go. That's not working for me. Turn to somebody and look at them and say, that's not working for me. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to say, I'm not going to go down this path. So this story, Peter comes up, says, Lord, this has never happened to you. Jesus sees what's going on. He feels and senses the control that's trying to be invoked in this particular scenario. And so let's read on and see what happens next. Uh, he says, no, this won't happen in verse 21, 23. Jesus turned to Peter. And what does he say? He says, get behind me. Come on, are you guys with me today? I feel like I'm really preaching good up here. Get behind me. So the next time you feel somebody try to control you, you just say that to them. Get behind me, Satan. I'm sure it'll go over very well in your home, and your marriage. Sometimes your kids, you feel like that is what exactly is happening, right? Satan, but... Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not what? You do not have in mind the things of God. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the temptation and the, and the amount of control that made him question whether he had to go through what he was going to have to go through. And he spoke immediately to that. He identified, he recognized it, and he verbalized it and said, no, I'm not going there. 
This is not going to work for me. Listen, Satan, you're not going to tempt me to avoid the will of God because all of humanity hangs in the balance. If I don't go through with this life and this death that I have to give. Amen. See, if someone else has control over your life, it's called the sin of idolatry. If someone else is making your decisions or encouraging your decisions that aren't leading you to God's will and for God's purpose, that, and you're listening to them, you are coming to the sin of idolatry. You're living your life for them instead of your life for God. God does not want you to, to do what they want you to do. He wants you to do what he has called you to do. See, when we become people pleasers, we will always avoid what God wants to do. The really hard thing is you can do it your way or you can do it the right way. See, controlling people put the squeeze on you until you finally give in. It happens with siblings. It happens with parents to kids. It happens with kids to parents. And parents, can I tell you something? It happens a lot more frequently than what you think it does. Because you love your kids so much, you think so, they're so innocent and they're so pure. They're good kids. They would never control me. They are working you like a puppet. Hello? Man, I know. I, have, I had two of them. Thank God they're almost grown. They work. They start with, can I get... You're so pretty. <laughs> Mommy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Can I get... It's always got a follow-up, right? And kids are... I mean, they know. Their soul knows how to control, right? Because ultimately, the soul wants what the soul wants. The soul is selfish. The soul is desiring what the flesh wants. And so what happens is they try to just control things. And man, you, you don't... If you want to learn how to be manipulative, watch a child right? Watch that child that will hound you and nag you and vex your soul all the way through Walmart. <laughs> Next time I'm going to leave you in the car. Wouldn't be good, but I'll do it. It's not going to work for me anymore. So you're going to recognize it. You're going to verbalize it. And then finally, point number three is this. If you have your notes, write this down. Sometimes in life, when you recognize it, you verbalize it, if the relationship doesn't change, you have to redefine the relationship. You have to change up the relationship. It's not working for you. It's not going to happen. They won't listen. You have to redefine what that relationship looks like. Listen, life is a series of dances. You say, I can't dance. I'm not talking about literal dance. I'm talking about Life is a series of working with people and moving in and out of their life. Sometimes they take a step back, you take a step back. Sometimes you move forward. It's always dancing, dancing around relationships, dancing around your job. You're dancing. It's figuratively speaking, I'm saying. We all are in a dance. We're all learning how to work peaceably with each other. We're all learning how to function as a marriage. We're learning how to function as a family with kids. We're learning how to function as a, as a single mom with raising kids or a single a father raising kids. We're learning how to dance. We're learning how to, when we bring families together, we mesh 
families together uh, after a divorce. We're learning how to dance. We're learning how to get along. We're learning how to make this thing happen. And let me just say, it's exhausting at times, right? It gets tiring, doesn't it? Get tired, get weary. Because you feel like all you're doing is dancing. You're wearing a lot of energy out. And sometimes in life, you don't even feel like you're making any progress. You don't feel like you're getting any headroom, any headway. I'm here to tell you sometimes, even with our kids, with our spouse, and with our friends, we have to redefine what that relationship really is supposed to be. Because we want something, but maybe they don't want that. Or we think we have an idea about something. We dream this picture up of my marriage is going to be so beautiful and so perfect. And then it doesn't quite turn out that way. And then we kind of step back and go, huh, didn't quite get there. And you have to redefine the relationship. Some of you right now, as I'm talking, some of you are thinking about the relationships in your life that you need to redefine. Boyfriends, girlfriends, that you are down a wrong path, or maybe you're not even supposed to be together, and you've been dating. Why? Because we're high school, we're high school sweethearts. We love each other. And yet, that may not be the one that God even wants for you. Sometimes you got to redefine the relationship. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, because he was speaking to the power that was being enforced, the control that was trying to come force, even. Peter was being used by Satan in that particular moment to tempt Jesus to fall away from the will of the Father. So what happens? Peter got hurt, I'm sure. I mean, no one likes to be called Satan. That's not a good, that's not a good friend, right? I'm sure G Peter was hurt. Fast forward, what happens? Peter rejects Jesus three times whenever Jesus was arrested and taken away. Peter, or Jesus goes to the cross he dies upon the cross. He's buried. Three days later, he comes back to life. After he comes back to life, he's down on a, uh, Jesus is down on a shore one morning making some breakfast. This is found in Acts. He's making breakfast. Peter is out fishing on the water like he did all the time before Jesus. He sees this man on the shore, and he goes, Hey, I'm going to... Here's the, uh, the, the man on the shore says, Hey! Come on in. Come on in. I got some breakfast. Come on in. Peter's like, let's go see what this is all about. They pull their boats in. They walk up. They see that this man is Jesus, the one who died. And Peter and Jesus have an encounter. Remember the relationship when, Je when Jesus died, the relationship, the last thing that happened was Jesus called Peter Satan. And Peter denied him three times. Broken, horrible, toxic relationship. Not really good. Not good. Fast forward. Here's Jesus on the shore. Peter's sitting down, eating breakfast. And Jesus looks at Peter with loving kindness. And he looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, yes, Lord. Yes, I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Feed the people that are going to need me in their future. They're going to need to know who I am. That You need to feed them. Another time, short time later, they're eating, they're talking, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Yeah, I love you. I, I, I'm all about you. Yes, I love you. And then feed my sheep, Jesus says to him. Still further, a little bit of time later, Jesus says one more time. He says, Peter, I really got to know. Do you really love me? 
Peter at this point was almost heartbroken because he could not believe he was asked a third time. And Peter says, Lord, I love you. And I will do whatever you ask me to do. And he said, then Peter, feed my sheep. Recognize here the three rejections that were done by Peter early while he was crucified were absolved through the three approvals that Peter gave about the Son of God because Jesus reconciled that relationship with Peter because he knew Peter was going to be the cornerstone that the church was going to be built upon and lives would be changed because of this man named Peter. But Jesus had to redefine the relationship. Back in, back in, uh, back in the, uh, the book where uh, Peter comes up and says, Lord, this won't happen to you. I believe Jesus, there was a relationship that was in error. The relationship was Peter thought he had more authority than what he did. But in this place, Jesus gave authority back to Peter, and Peter took upon himself the power to do what God's called him to do. Sometimes you have to redefine the relationship. Sometimes your relationships need to be changed and altered. Sometimes you're dating somebody who has hurt you and, and, and has manipulated you and controlled you, and you have to redefine that relationship. Marriages have to redefine relationships because whenever you're dating, you'll do anything, right? Anything. But when you get married, when the rubber meets the road, you have to know where no is no and you stop. And this is the challenge. This is, this is the part of dealing with vampires. It's very hard because once we recognize it, we verbalize it. If it doesn't change, we have to change it. And some of you here today, you need to change some of the relationships that are improper, or you have to change, let me say this, the controlling relationship of someone in your life. Now, we shift gears just for one second as I'm closing. Let me talk to those of you in here, not that are being controlled, but you're the controller. Just let me speak to you. Don't, you don't have to let me know it's you. You know who you are. You're the controller. You're, you're the one who manipulates. You're the one who kind of uh, makes decisions and kind of gets people, to, you coerce people, you manipulate people to go your way. Let me just speak to you really, 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 really clear. First off, you're not bad. You're not a bad person. You're not an evil person. God loves you. God cares about you. God understands why you're that way. Let me help you understand why many times people control other people. I'll give it to you in one word. Fear. Controlling people control people because they're fearful that life may get out of hand or out of their control. They fear losing grip on where they need to go or what needs to happen. Control. Peter in that story is a prime example of someone who was fearful. Peter feared that if Jesus would be taken away and all the things were to happen, the one he had looked to, the one he had trusted, he left everything behind. He left all of his family behind to go and preach and evangelize for three years. He left it all behind, and he feared that if that happened, the one he looked up to would be gone from his life. Fear. Fear drove him to a place of trying to control. And some of you today, your control is because you're fearful. Just being very truthful. You fear losing control of your grades. You fear losing control of your spouse. 
you fear losing control of your job or losing control of your friends or losing control of your kids. And so what do you do? You control and you, you try to hold in and try to manipulate. Let me just, can I just free you guys with something? Instead of fearing, I want to challenge you to have faith in the one who's big enough to take care of it. Switch your fear to faith today. Have faith. Have faith that God, God cares more about your spouse than you do. And he's going to take care of them. You don't have to control them. Let God be their God. You don't have to fear that medical diagnosis that comes your way and try to work and control and manipulate. And make it. No, no, no. Have faith that God is the healing God and he can do the impossible. Because why? He's the only one that can. We cannot, I cannot heal anybody. I cannot fix a relationship. I cannot fix my kids. I can't fix Michelle. I can't fix any of you guys. I can't fix you. And Lord knows you need a lot of fixings. But it's okay. I'm not that. This is where faith has got to come in and it overcomes our fear. So what are we going to do? We're going to trust that by faith, not fear, God has us under control. Recognize who's controlling you. Verbalize it. It's not going to work for me. Sorry, this has got to change. And then if it doesn't, redefine that relationship and where it needs to go. Because that's the beauty of walking with people and trusting that God is in control. Bow your heads with me today. Father, thank you so much. But God, we can trust you with our life. I read this story, God, of Peter and Jesus, and I wrestled with it. Because, God, I don't want to think of Peter that way, but it's truly at the heart of it what was really happening. Lord, what was happening is control was trying to come in because he was so scared to lose the one he loved. God, ultimately today, many of us are driven by fear. Losing the ones we love. So we try to control and manipulate and work. Really, God, it's futile. It doesn't get us anywhere. So, Lord, I just pray that in the next few moments of time, you would search us. Help us to recognize the controllers, the manipulators in our lives. Help us to at times verbalize, redefine. God, for those in this place today that maybe they're the manipulators, then God, I just pray that you'll help us understand that fear will paralyze us, but faith sets us totally free.
remind us that when we face that fear, when that fear tries to come rushing in, remind us that, God, you're bigger. You're bigger than that sickness. You're bigger than that relational challenge. You're bigger than that job. You're bigger than that fi- those finances that we're struggling with. You're just bigger. So, God, when we wrestle with fear, let us be reminded, remind us to have faith in who you are. With head bowed, eyes closed, you're here today. And maybe there's someone in your life that's controlling you, someone that's manipulating you, and you're trying to figure out, how do I deal with them? How do I handle them? How do I, how do I navigate this place in my life? How do I move through this from this controlling person? How do I find a place of peace, a place of rest with you, God? And I want to pray for you in just a moment. You know who that person is. You have that person in your mind. You know that you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to verbalize it. You're going to have to recognize it, verbalize it, and possibly redefine the relationship. It scares you to death because of fear. I want to just encourage you today. Have faith to do what God's called you to do and watch him prosper you like you've never known before. Others of you here today, you struggle with being controlling. You struggle with being the one who's in control and you struggle with dictating this and making that happen and you 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 really try to navigate your kids you try to say you go here you do this and yet at the end of the day you know it's not healthy you know it's not right and so today maybe you're doing it because of fear and you need god to help you with that fear and turn that fear into faith have faith that god has them and god's over this and god can take care of that have faith. You're here this morning, just head bowed and eyes closed here this morning. Father, help us today to shift our, to shift from fear to faith, to know that you are for us. And God, if you are for us, then no one or nothing can be against us. To know that God, we don't stand in our strength. We stand in your strength. And just as Jesus did with Peter that day, He rebuked the lies that the enemy was trying to say, the fear that was trying to be spoken into Jesus' life. He spoke to it, he rebuked it, and he stood confidently in faith, knowing that my life must die so that many may live. And those here today, God, need to stand against what the lies the enemy would try to say and stand in and believe by faith that, God, you have us. So, God, for that marriage, for those relationships, for those co-workers, God, for friends, and God, even friends in school that are maybe not healthy and are going on wrong paths, God, help us to redefine, help us to see what we need to make changes about so they don't take us down and suck the life right out of us. But we have life because we stand confidently knowing our God has our back. No, we're not going to be people pleasers. We're going to be a God pleaser. So God, you're for us. You're for us and no one or nothing can be against us. I thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. So God, go with us, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkiakuk.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.